0: Well, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We're just going to open it up there. That's where we'll get going. We're we're at this study that we're calling 12 Key Biblical Truths. We're looking at all these kind of places in the Bible. And here's our goal, and we've talked about this before. And our goal is this, that to know key biblical truths and to be able to communicate these truths to, to others That's the goal Of this whole course So we've looked at All kind of different things We'll talk more about it In a second But that's the key We want to, as believers We want to say Listen We want to know Key biblical areas So that we can be ready To give an answer And here's what we did We started with The issue of salvation And we started with What is the story of the Bible And the story of the Bible Is the perfect God Brings sinful man Back to himself Using his son Jesus Christ The story of the Bible Is reconciliation Then we said The lesson was called Being saved three times And we saw the whole issue Of justification sanctification, and glorification, and how God has saved us in the past, saving us now, will save us in the future, that whole idea of justification, sanctification, glorification. And then we looked at, is it eternal life or temporary life? And we started saying, no, it's eternal life. And we talked about security and assurance, and security is being safe. Assurance is understanding that we are safe. And the great truth is that when someone believes in Christ, they have eternal life, and they're saved and saved forever. Then we switched over. We said, let's start deal with some issues dealing with Christians life. And we saw what we call the two greats, the, the great commandment and the great commission. The great commandment is loving God and loving others. The great commission was making disciples, and we saw that. Then last week, we raised the question, the name of the lesson was why we run the race of the Christian life, and the bottom line was rewards. And we just talked about it, and the goal is that that when we stand before Jesus We want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Well, in this lesson, and it's a little bit unique. It's a little bit different. In this lesson, we're going to issue the issue of giving. A lot of people don't like to talk about giving. Giving is really fun, and giving is great. We're going to talk more about it. But the issue of giving, the truths of stewardship and biblical giving are not often taught in our churches. And if they are taught, I'll be honest with you, most have been taught a system that's incorrect that's not even biblical. And people have taught it. Forever, And if I asked you to raise your hand, if I'm, we're going to get to it in a minute, but if I say, raise your hand, we'll just see how, you know, if, you, if this is what you were taught, we'll talk about it. So in this lesson, we're going to look at that. So let's start, and we said, here's what Jesus said. This is in Acts chapter 20. You say, Jesus isn't alive in Acts chapter 20. Well, he's not on the earth in Acts chapter 20. He's always alive. But this is what Paul said. Paul writes and says, In everything I showed you that by working hard in this way, you must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus. This is Jesus speaking. That he himself said, what? What did he say? It is more blessed to give than to receive. It is more blessed to give. And by the way, you can tell. Let me just tell you. A lot of people don't give, and we're going to talk about why people don't give. We're going to talk about that whole idea in just a little bit. But look at the difference. Giving and blessing, that whole understanding of blessing, comes with maturity. Let me tell you what. When you're six years old and it's Christmas, what do you want? Your presents. You, you're not really worried about anything else. You want your presents. But when you're older, then what do you want to do? You want to, and you want to give away, and you want to watch somebody to get something. And so what we're going to see is that Jesus says, you're blessed. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And so we're going to talk about that as we go through it. And if uh, we, we want to see it, then there's a lot of misunderstanding. So I thought I would give you a little quiz, <clears throat> okay? And so uh, just in your mind, you, know, you can write it down if you want to. Not the question, just whether it's true or false. I'm going to ask you uh, some questions, and you tell me, is, are there, is it true or false? Don't, don't tell me out loud right this second. You just write it down, okay? Question number one. The Bible tells us not to borrow, true or false, okay? Ready? All you have to do is put T or F, okay. Uh, Number two, Christians should not use a credit card, true or false. Number three, believers are to give at least 10% to their church, true or false. Four, believers do not need to plan for retirement since God always provides for our needs now and the future, true or false. Question five. Most premarital counseling deals with budgets and finances. True or false? Number six. The average giving by a believer to a local church is about 5%. True or false? Number seven. The Bible says that money is the root of all evil. True or false? And then question eight. Stewardship in the local church deals with giving, true or false? Okay, did you all get them down? Uh, they're all false. I hope you got them all false. The, the Bible says that it is a sin. It's not a sin to borrow. It's a sin to borrow and do not repay. The Bible never mentions anything about credit cards, okay? The third one is believers are to give at least 10% of their church, Uh, that's false, we'll talk more about it in just a minute. Believers don't need to plan for retirement, no. God says plan for the future and trust God. Uh, Most premarital counseling's deal with budgets and finance, no. In fact, most do not. In fact, most don't even make people put down a budget or even understand how they're going to live or what they're going to do. The average giver in the local church gives about 5%. The average giver gives about 1.7%. 1.7%. One point seven percent. That means out of every hundred dollars, they give a dollar seventy. Okay, just want you to understand that. Um, the Bible says that money is the root of all evil. What about that one? No, the love of money is the root of all evil. And stewardship in the local church deals with giving. It deals with what? everything it deals with how we use everything and so we're going to see that there are many misconceptions and we'll see how it ties together here's the sort of the outline for our study I'm going to give you a second to write it in but if you if you don't get it all written in we're going to get it as we go through the lesson we're going to go through these six things I think you're going to have a lot of fun if you do have a question or comment or input or anything just stop me and we'll talk about it this subject is a subject that a lot of people are confused on and we'll talk about it. So the first, we're going to look at our lives. We're going to look at giving in the Bible. We're going to look at how we are to give. We're going to give our motive for giving. We're going to give the result, talk about the results of giving. And then we're just going to mention the whole idea of a generous lifestyle. And the reason we're talking about generous lifestyle, because he actually talks about the rich. And guess who the rich are? We are. Every one of us in this room are rich compared to the rest of the world. Compared to the rest of the world, most of us in poverty in the United States, what would be considered poverty would be wealthy in almost every other country in the world. So we're going to talk about all these things as we go through it. And if, if, I, if you have a question or a comment, you just stop me. So the very first thing we're going to look at, I hope you got it written, but we'll get them all as we go through it in just a minute. But here, are, y'all get them? Are you close? Yeah, this is uh, motive, results. You could even put motive, results. You don't have to put forgiving because it is, but we'll see it all. Okay, here's the first one. It's our lives. Let's talk about our lives as we begin let's think about our lives as believers and we're in first corinthians chapter four verses one and two and i want you to see two aspects and look what he starts off look at verse chapter four verse one he says let a man let people regard us in this manner in fact he says this is how we want people to look at us what does he say as servants of christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. We we want to be seen as people serving and giving. That's what he talks about. So he says this, let a person regard us in this way. And how is it? These two things Servants of Christ, that means we're slaves of Christ, because that's what the word, the word is doulos in the Greek. It means a slave. We're a slave of Christ, and we're stewards of the mysteries of God. So look again at verse chapter 4, verse 1. Let, let people look at us in this way. We want people to see us as servants of Jesus Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So let's talk about servants for just a second. Servants of Jesus Christ, we already know that we've been bought with a price, First Corinthians six nineteen says, "What do you not know? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Is in own, you know, who's in you? You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your bodies." And so, yeah, you're at the top of the next page. And, and so we're, we're looking there, and, and we are—we belong to Him. We offer our lives as living sacrifices. We're gonna—we're gonna get this uh, probably in the next lesson because it talks about sacrifices that we offer. And a lot of people don't, don't understand that. They go, what do you mean to offer sacrifices? Uh, Old Testament people offered sacrifices. No, we offer sacrifices too. We'll see that when we come back from spring break. And then the second aspect is stewards of God. And steward uh, is, is really an amazing word. Everything you have comes to you from God. And you are responsible to use it. The word steward is from the Greek word oikonomos oikonomos, oikos in the Greek means the word house, namas means law, it means the house law, the law of the house, the steward. In that day and time, the master of the house... Would actually have a slave or someone called the steward, and they were responsible to oversee all of the things that belonged to the master of the house. They took care of the food, the children. They they were called the steward or the achanamas. We're called stewards as well. Notice what he says here: Let a man regard us in the manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God, and that's who we are. We're we're, the, we're we've been entrusted by God, with everything that we have. Think about it. Uh, You have a car? Have a place to live? You have any clothes? Do you have more than one shirt? Do you have like four or five shirts? Do you have more than one pair of shoes? Do you know there's some people in the world that maybe have one shirt, maybe two shirts, and one pair of shoes, maybe, and one pair of pants? I went to Mexico a number of years ago with Campus Crusade and we went down and did, built a church and did missions and everything else and and I met some of the people that I got to spend time with them and did you know that most, most of those people that where we went, uh, they might have one t-shirt and one real shirt and one pair of pants and that's it. That's all they had And and they're accountable to use that and guess what? All we got And we're accountable to use everything we have for the glory of God. Ron Blue says this. He says, most Christians look at stewardship as just a giving aspect, when in fact stewardship is the management of another's resources, God's resources. Everything that we have comes to us from God. Everything, that place you live, car, food, clothes, abilities, time, money, everything, it's all from God. So what does he say here? Look at verse 2, which I love. He says, In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found what? Trustworthy, and that's the word faithful. The word trustworthy is the Greek word for faithful. And so it is required of us to be found faithful. When we stand before Jesus Christ, and we talked about it last week, It's what's it called when we stand there? What's it, that place called? The judgment seat of Christ. And we're going to be held accountable for how we lived, how we used everything that He gave to us. And so we're going to stand there, and what do we want to hear Him say? Well Well done what? Good and faithful servant. That's what we want. So He says, listen, we want to be seen as servants of Christ, stewards of the mysteries of God, and in this case, it's required of a steward to be found faithful. When you think about that, there are three areas I want you to think about the idea of stewardship. Just... Our time, our abilities, and our finances. Now, this lesson is going to deal more with the financial aspect of it, okay? But let's talk about time, ability, and finances. Uh, think about time. I mean, we, there's only so much time. You know, with people, we draw up this thing like this, and, and, and this is our life right here, you know, and that's how we look at it, and then one of these days we'll be, and then one day it'll be eternal state. Well, what we don't realize is our life right now is like That. And then this is eternity. And how we live there is going to have a bearing on how we live in the kingdom, the thousand-year reign, the eternal state, all the things that God has for us, how we use what God has given us, whether it's our gifts, talents, our abilities, our time. It's all for, and that's why he says, retain the time. The days are evil. You only have so much time. And the truth is, you only have so much time to live on this earth. And that's when you can get to serve Him. The second one is our. Uh, uh, two th- oh, by the way, Lynn, let me let me throw this up. This is really key. What's the only t- two things besides God that lasts forever? What? What's the only two things besides God that lasts forever? His word and people. Every human being is going to last forever. Some will spend eternity separated from Jesus Christ in the lake of fire. Some will spend eternity with Jesus Christ, called eternal life. And the word. So, if you want to invest your life in things that are eternal, what would you invest in? God's word and people. Know the word. Touch lives for Jesus Christ and, and people. So that's the, that's the thing. That's time. The second one is our abilities. God has given us gifts, talents, and abilities. You've heard me talk about this a lot. If you've been at all in our Grow group at all, we have talked a lot about the idea of using your gifts, talents, and abilities for the glory of God. Every one of you in this room who know Jesus Christ is say, If you believed in Christ for eternal life, you have at least one spiritual gifts. you may have more than one spiritual gift, you may have a number of spiritual gifts, and you're to use those gifts, ta- talents, and abilities for the glory of God while you are here. Here's the third thing, and the third one is our finances, and that's what we're going to talk about, details tonight, just, to, this is what I want you to understand, I just want you to understand how, what the Bible says, not what maybe you've been taught all your life, or maybe not what you've heard all your life, but what does the Bible actually say? And so under finances, I want you to think about two things. I think it's an A and a B. The A is this, that God owns everything, right? Everything belongs to Him, including you, including me. Look what He says in Psalm 24.1, a Psalm of David. The earth is the Lord's, and all it contains, the world and all who dwell in it. Everything belongs to God. Why? Because He created it. He made it. He spoke it into being. He created you. Where did He create you? Where, where did he create you? In your mother's womb. That's what he says. Psalm 139, he's created you. So Psalm 24 1 says the, everything belongs to the Lord. And then there's a second aspect. Uh, this, under this whole wide thing of finances. We're in a process of growth. Second Peter 3.18 says, grow in the grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we are growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ. That we're trying to, to know Him and to serve Him and to live for Him. And so we, we just got this big background, you might say, uh, uh, the idea of of, you know, all of this. So let's go to the top of the next page and let's talk about, and this may, now this may surprise you, If you've been taught something else, okay? But we're going to look at the Bible, and we're going to talk about what it says. And we're going to talk about giving in the Bible. Let me do this. Let me erase this for just a second. And let me ask you, if you were taught that you are supposed to give a tenth, raise your hand. That's every hand. By the way, that's wrong. I just want you to understand that, okay? And you may say, what? How could they be wrong? Well, let's just look. Let's see what the scripture has to say. So, when we talk about giving in the Bible, there are two kinds of giving, two aspects of giving. There is what we call required giving. And in the Old Testament, in certain places, that was called tithes, required giving. And then there was what we call free will offerings. Now, let me show you something I want you to think about required giving and free will. Offerings are an act of worship. Required giving is not an act of worship. You're told what to do. You're told to give a certain amount, okay? So when you look in the Scripture, we're going to find that we're going to find in places that it talks about tithes, it's plural, and we're going to talk about offerings. In fact, under the Mosaic Law... Before that, Well, let me, let me, where is that? Uh, we'll get to it in a minute. We'll get to it in a minute. So I want to show you something, and we're going to, let me draw this up. I'm going to put it on the board, but I'm also going to draw it up for you, too. This is. Before the law. Now, we, we, when, when was the law? Anybody know about the law? nation of Israel came out of Egypt and they got the law. Well, that, that was about 1444 B.C. Well, people lived before then. <laughs> they weren't under a Mosaic law. In fact, the nation of Israel was the one under the Mosaic law. So let's talk about giving in the Bible, and we're going to find that there's before the Mosaic law, under the Mosaic law, and after the Mosaic law. And I want you to see something as we, as we put this down. Before the law, there was what we call free will. Let me put it this way. Free will offerings. And an offering is an act of what? Worship. Worship okay? Under the law, there was actually tithes. That's plural. And offerings. This was required... And this was free will. This was not an act of worship. This was. After the law, guess what? Free will offerings. And that's an act of what? Worship. Okay, I'm going to put that there, and we're going to come back to it in a minute. So this is what we find, is that in the Scripture, you're going to see giving before the Mosaic law... You're going to see giving under the Mosaic Law, and you're going to see giving after the Mosaic Law. And and that's what we're going to look at as we go through this. And so let's start with before the law. Okay, and I want you to see uh, how this fit. Before the law, this is from Adam and Eve on. Do you understand when you get to Genesis chapter 4, you see Cain and Abel, right? Remember the story? Were they bringing the tithe? What were they bringing? offerings. They were bringing sacrifices. They were bringing acts of worship to God. When you get to Genesis chapter 8, when Noah got off the ark, what was the first thing that he did when he came off the ark? He was on the ark for how many days? 370. What did he do? He made an offering to God. An offering. It's an act of worship. When you get to Genesis chapter 12, Abraham, when he he made an offering to God. And, and Isaac and Jacob, and the, they all made offerings to God. So those are what they call free will offerings, and that's where you decide, you say, I will give this to God. That's what an offering is, okay? Now, then, something happened. We now go... uh that you got Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, and they went down to Egypt, and then they became slaves in Egypt, and they were slaves for over 400 years, and then God raised up Moses and Moses and Aaron, and they led the people out, and they parted the Red Sea, and they went through the Red Sea, and the water covered them all up, and they got on the other side, and they all cheered and clapped and had a great time, and then they went for a little while, and they came to a place called Mount Horab or Mount Sinai, and while they were there, and by the way, they were there for a year while they were there, Moses went up on the mountain, and he got the law. It was to set the nation of Israel apart. This is for Israel. I want you to understand this now. The nation of Israel needed a law, a constitution. How, they went into Egypt with how many people? Did anybody know? Seventy-five, 75 exactly. There were 72, and then three, three already there. Seventy-five total. They came out with how many, how many people? Two million. They, they came in as a family. They go out as a nation. And they need a law. They need constitution. And so they go up. Moses goes up on top of the mountain. And he gets what we call the top ten. And before he could even get down with the top ten, they had already broken them. And when he got to the bottom, he threw them down and broke them. And they had the golden calf. He ground it all up, made them drink it. Drink it. And then he went back up and he got ten more. Same team. And then he got another 500. So there's 613 commandments on the Mosaic Law, and they deal with all kind of stuff. Now, I want to remind you of something. And I'm going to have to... Let me just erase this, and we'll put it back up in a minute. When they came out and they got the Mosaic Law, God said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pick one of the tribes and they're going to handle all of the sacrifices and the tabernacle and the, all that, right? Anybody, y'all know that? What tribe was that? Levi. Levi. The tribe of Levi. And Aaron was from the tribe of Levi, and he became the high priest. And so they got ready to go into the land, and when they got ready to go in the land, they said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to divide the land up to the tribes. There are 13 tribes, by the way, 13. And when they divided them up... One tribe didn't get any land. What tribe was that? Levites. Levites. And so the Levites, why didn't they get land? Because they got 48 cities to live in, but they didn't get any land because their job was to go and work at the what? The tabernacle or the temple. The other tribes all got land. Now, how are the priests going to live? How are the tribe of Levi going to live if they don't have any land? So... God says this. Here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to require from everybody, except the Levites, of course, but they do have to do something as well. We're going to require that they, everybody give a tenth for the priest and everybody give another tenth for the tabernacle and then every third year they give another tenth for the widows and the orphans. I'm going to put it up there in just a second. So this giving, what was this, this tithe system for? It was to support who? Look, the two kinds of giving, free will and required. Malachi 3.8, bring your tithes and offerings. Because under the Mosaic Law, there were the tithes. Notice it's not singular, it's not bring your tithe. It's tithes and your offerings. What were Offerings. What were offerings? Acts of worship. Okay, so under the Mosaic law, there were three tithes. 10% to the priest, 10% to the tabernacle, and every third year, they brought 10%. So how much did they give every year required giving? 20% every year, and 30% every three years. Would you like to be under a tithe system? You're not under that system. What was the purpose of the tithing? What was the purpose of the required giving? Support the sacrificial system. That's exactly what it is. That's what it was for. It supported them. Let me give you this. Just if you want to write this down. There are the three places of the tithes that you can write down. Leviticus 27.30 is called the Lord's tithe. It was for the Levites and the priests. Deuteronomy 12 was called the festival tithe. It was for the temple, the priest, and the families. And Leviticus 14, 28 was every third year. It was for the priest, the widow, the orphan, and the stranger. So I'll give you a second to write that down because one of these days, people are going to say to you, it's not true, and you'll say, let me show you the verses. All right, now, yeah, I'm not moving anything. I'm not changing anything. I'm just talking, okay? So okay? When you said Malachi 3:8. Uh-huh. Did that have any connection with Matthew 3:8 at the side? I think there's a misprint. You think it's a misprint? I haven't, I, haven't I, I be honest with you, I haven't even looked. Hold on. Uh Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's supposed to be, I'm sure that's supposed to be Malachi 3.8. Yeah, that's Malachi 3.8. Good. I'm find, finding any mistakes. Remember, this is the first time we've done this, so we'll have a lot of mistakes. That's Malachi 3.8. And by the way, Malachi 3.8 is under the Mosaic Law, writing to the Jews, and they say, what? Bring your, what? Tithes and offerings to the where? Storehouse of the temple. Why? Because you're bringing your tithes for the priest. You're bringing your offerings for God. Okay, does that make sense? So I want to show you something. From Adam and Eve to Moses, free will offerings. Moses, all the way to Christ, because that's the Mosaic law, tithes and offerings, 30%, 20% every year, 30% every three years, and that was to support the, sacri- the sacrifices of the priests and the Levites, and they still gave their offerings. Let me tell you, let me tell you when. Do you remember the story of the widow's mite? Jesus is sitting at the temple and this little lady comes up and she throws money in. It's like a penny. And he says she gave everything. That was an offering. That was not tithing. So under the Mosaic law, they were required to do this and they got to do this as acts of worship. Now, are you under the Mosaic law? When did the aspect of the Mosaic law end? Uh, it, when Jesus died on the cross and paid for sin and rose again. At the death of Jesus Christ, he's the death. He begins the new covenant, okay? And Christ is the end of the law to all who believe. And so when he says that, we're never, we never were in the Mosaic law. Who's the Mosaic law for? Israel. Israel. Just remember that. What are we? Church. We're the church. That's different. Okay, now let's let's go a little further because so, you gotta you gotta get this. The third part is now oh, the tithing was to support the sacrificial system under the law. There was the free will offerings, okay? And now and before the law, free will. During the law, filled and required. What do you think now? After the law, guess what? Go back to free will offerings. Second Corinthians chapter nine, verse seven. Let each one give as he decided in his heart. Not grudgingly, not reluctantly, or into compulsion, not because it's a law. For God loves a what? Cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. By the way, we'll see it in a minute, but the Greek word for cheerful is hilarious. (laughs) It is. I know it sounds silly, but it's hilarious. It's the Greek word. That's where we get hilarious from. It means cheerful. So, do you understand? For the law... Free will, offerings. Under the law, tithes and offerings. The tithes were to support the sacrificial system. Is there a sacrificial system today? The temple's gone. If you said, I'm going to put myself under the Mosaic law, then you'll give 20% every year, 30% every three years, and you're to take it to the temple in Jerusalem. But guess what? There is no temple in Jerusalem. It's gone. Where is the temple today? We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So now we're the church, and now we go back to, guess what? Free will offerings. Now, let me just say something. I want to make something really clear. If you said, but I've always wanted to give a tithe, do it. You can give 10%, you can give 12%, you can give 30%, you can give 5%, you can give anything you want. You give as you purpose in your heart. If you've always given a tithe, I want you to understand you can give it now not because you think you're required to do it, but now you can do it as an act of worship to God because you you have the privilege of offering. On, On Sunday morning, we don't take up a tithe. We take up a what? Offerings. So it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And so I just want you to see that. Uh, Any questions? Let me me see. Is that the last thing? I think so. Okay. All right. You ready? Let's go to the next thing. How are we to give? Well, what's the answer? Free will offerings. And so you're not under a law system to give a certain amount. Although let me just say this, and this is going to sound funny. If under a law system... You gave 20%. What, did you, what should you give under a grace system? Think about it. Everything we have, what? Comes from God. It's all His. It's not your money. It's not your clothes. It's the grace of God. If you get a paycheck, what you should say is, Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. And what are you going to do with that? What are you going to do? And and what I can tell you some some personal things in just a little bit if you want me to. But let's talk about how to give and free will offerings. Second Corinthians nine seven. He basically talks about there that it's supposed to be hilarious. I don't think that's typed in there correct, but it's it's got a rough breathing. Well, it does. It's got a rough breathing mark on it, and uh, but it's a, the Greek word which means uh, t- you know the ha- ha- happy free you know free will offering. So how do we give? 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Now, let me, i got three things for you. It should be, per, you see it on your sheet. It should be personal. It should be planned. It should be purpose. So let's talk about personal. That means each one, every one of us are are, are expected. God expects you to give. He does. He expects you to give. You're not under a law, mm-hmm. but you're expected to do what? To worship. You hear me say this on Sunday mornings. We've gathered together to worship this morning as we sing, as we pray, as we give, as we Study. All of those are acts of worship. So giving, we're going to see, it should be personal. It should be planned. First Corinthians 16, 2 says, On the first day of the week, when you gather together, bring your offerings. Now, when do we meet? First day of the week, right? Now, he told the Corinthians that when they came together, they should bring and give, okay? And so that's why it's planned. We should do that. And then the third thing, it should be purposed. Give of your first fruits. Meaning, when you get your money, I'm just going to tell you, I'm telling you what the Bible says, so don't be mad, but when you get your money, you don't say, I'm going to pay all my bills, I'm going to do this, and if there happens to be anything left over I might give, you're to take what you have on the front end and give away on the front end. It's called giving the first fruits, Proverbs 3, 9. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. He said, give your first fruits. Give first. Um, let me quickly, I'm going to quickly say this because I, I just look at the time. If, you, if you've ever been in membership training, you've heard this story. You've heard some of these stories. I made a decision. I was, going, I was coaching at Mississippi State, had a decent salary, was, was starting to grow as a Christian. And I got to the point where I decided, I realized that what I wanted to do was be a pastor. So I made a decision that I was resigned from Mississippi State and I was going to go to Dallas Seminary. But I also made a decision because up to that point in time, I, 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 I didn't give hardly any. I, just, I mean, I would have my job and stuff, and every now and then I might give some. I made a decision that I understood what, that everything that I have, including my life and everything, belongs to God. So I made a decision that from that day forward, every time I got anything, any money, anything, I would give a portion away immediately. So I went to Dallas Seminary and uh, this is kind of a while ago, but my whole income that I had every, every month was, uh, uh, my rent was $450, I and mean, I got $600 a month. I worked for a state farm agent 27 hours a week, and I made a little more than $500, and somebody sent me $100, so I had a little more than $600. My rent was 450 Everything else, I mean, I had almost nothing to live on, but I decided that whatever money I got, the first thing I would do is give a portion of it away. By the way, I've never stopped that. If you were to walk up to me after this and say, "I just want to give you some money and give it to me," I would take it and a portion of it I'd give away immediately. Well, maybe next Sunday or sometime I'd give it away. I made that decision. I just want you to understand that God blesses you, and we're going to see it more later. We might run out of time, but I want you to understand that from the day I made a decision that whatever God gives me on the front end, I'm going to give it away. I'm going to I'm going to plan it. It's personal. God has blessed me so far beyond what I could ever imagine. So I want to tell you one quick story. So I go to Dallas Seminary. I have no money whatsoever. I paid whatever little money I had, and I got paid for the first semester. So I had no money. I I actually did not use the air conditioner in my apartment in August for the first month because I didn't know if I'd have money to pay the electric bill. I didn't know. And so I'm there, and I go to the school... And we have mailboxes, and I go in, and I look in my mailbox, and there's a letter. And I go, I got a letter. And I open it up, and it's from State Farm. And it said, because you moved from tech, from Mississippi to Texas, you now owe an additional $92 to insure your car. $92? I didn't have $92. I didn't have $5. So I said, well, you know, I trust you, Lord, because I already do what? Anytime I get money, what do I do with it? Give some away. So I went home, and I thought about it, and I said, well, you know, something will happen. So I go. I happen to go to school two days later, and guess what? There's another letter. And I thought, oh, this is not from some other state farm. Anyway, so I got it out, and it was a letter from a home church, and I opened it up. And the home pastor, his name was Knapp. He said, JB, somebody thought you might need this. It was a check for 92 dollars. Not 90, not 100, not 110. I wish it had been 110, but anyways, 90. It was what? It was 92. Okay, it's been that way ever, ever since. I got more stories. I could tell you 10 stories. And, and and it's not 10 stories that happened 20 years ago. It's stories that happen right now. And so all I want to tell you is, listen, you have an opportunity to give away. And you should say, Lord, everything you have is yours. Every, I mean, everything I have is yours. I want to I want to take it, and I'm going to use it for your glory, and, I'm, uh, you know, so you, got, you want to do that. So anyway, that's where we are there. So let's go to, to motive, and that's where we really are, and I want you to think about the motive for giving. I hope you got this. This is huge. Do you, let me ask you something. Do, do people see this? The ones that were taught you were under a time system, do you see, do you see where the time system fit in in the Scripture? You may not believe it. Just go study it then if you don't believe it. Uh, and if you want to stay under the system, we'll appreciate that. Since the average giver gives 1.7 and you're giving 10, we'll love it. Just keep doing it. But just understand it's free will. Okay, let's talk about motive. What is the motive for giving? Now, if you turn on the television and you see the evangelistic people on TV, they will say, please give to our ministry so God will bless you. That's the wrong motive. You don't give to be blessed. You will be blessed, but you don't give to be blessed. What is the motive for giving? The first motive is an act of love. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 89, he says, When you give, it shows your love for others. Where your, where your treasure is, there will be your heart. You know, I always had that backwards for a while. I thought, what you love, you treasure. No, no. What you treasure, you love. What you really treasure is what you're going to love. And so he says, what do you love? You love God. And so as an act of love. So I want to, I'm going to erase this because we all know this. We got it, I think. But I want you to understand what is our motive for giving? Why should we give? How do we give in that sense? The first of all, it's an act of love. It's your love for God, and it's your love for others. You're taking what God's given you, and as an act of love, you, you give to Him. Then there is a B, okay? And the second one is an act of worship. And we've been saying that. Now, is required giving an act of worship? No. Why? Why? Why isn't it? Because you have to. If I said, everybody, come up here and bring a dollar and put it right here. Is that an act of worship? No, because you're required to do it. But if I said, anybody that wants to give anything, bring it and put it right here. That's an act of worship. So it's an act of love. It's an act of worship. Philippians 4.18 talks about when they gave, he says, that this act of worship on your behalf. And then here's the third thing. And this is the big one. You got to trust God. You got to trust God. Let me tell you, if you had 100 bucks and you gave away 20, what are you going to have to do? You're gonna to have to trust God. You'd make it on eighty, and let me tell you the truth. You'll make it better on the eighty than you would on the hundred. I just guarantee you. Listen, I, I've experienced this too long. I believe the Bible, and the Bible comes true, and whatever the Bible says is right. And I'm just gonna tell you, you cannot, you you cannot worry about it. You are missing out on the what? It is more what blessed when you don't. When the reason I teach this is not to make you give. Good grace, that's between you and the Lord. What I'm saying, I want you to not miss out on the greatest thing of all, and that is the blessing that you get when you give. Now, your motive is an act of love, an act of worship, and an act of trust. You're going to have to trust God. It's scary. It's scary that when you get in something and you decide to give away 10%, 20%, 30%, 30% whatever, you, and you give it away, and then you basically say, now, and see, that's why you have to make a budget. That's why you have to write down a spending plan and what you're going to do and what you're going to give and what you're going to save, what you're going to spend, what you're going to live on. You've got to put all that down. Uh, when I do premarital counseling, I make them, read Dave Ramsey's book, and I make them do a budget, and I sit down with them, and we go over that budget. I say, how are you going to live now that you're married? How are you going to live? Well, we're going to make it. No, show me, show me your budget. Well, we didn't make one. We are going to make one right now. Because you can't go into anything like that without knowing what you're doing. So, act of love, act of worship, act of trust. And there's an old saying that says, giving is not God's way of raising money because He didn't need any. It's God's way of raising children. It causes us to trust Him, it causes us to love Him, it causes us to worship Him. This is why we do it, this is our motive. Look at this right here. Instruct those who are rich in this present world. By the way, who? anybody in this room rich in this present world? Every one of us in this room are. Just go to another country. Just go to some part other parts of the world. Just go to a place where they don't even have a place to live. Go to a place where they make $50 a month, and that's a lot. Are we the richest people in the world? We're the richest people in the world. People in our poverty or be we wealthy anywhere else. So we are the rich in this present world. So look what he says. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be what? Conceited or set their hope on the uncertainty of riches but, but it puts your hope on God who richly supplies all things to enjoy. What's our motive for giving? It's an act of love, an act of worship, and an act of trust. Now, here's i mean it gets so good so let's think about this what will be the results of giving they're going to be blessing now remember that's not your motive they're two different things this is why you give this is what happens when you give The people on TV will tell you to give so God will bless you. And they make that the motive. It's wrong. That's not the motive of why you give. But you know what? When you give, what does he do? He blesses you. I've got to tell one more story. Okay, Most of you know the story if you've been through them. So um, Catherine is about two years old. Three years old. And Sarah is about two weeks old. And I hurt my neck really bad. I was doing some weights at this weight thing, and I did one of these things, and I felt something hurt, and then before the day was over, I couldn't move my neck, and I and I had to go to the doctor, and he said, I think you've ruptured a disc. and I went, Ugh. and he said, well, we're going to have to do an MRI. And you got to remember, this is back when I first came to town, and Catherine is three years old now; she's thirty something now, and 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 I think, I mean, my salary might have been a thousand a month, maybe, maybe, and. The doctor said, you've got to have to go to Steelwater Medical and have an MRI. And in those days, it, I was going to have to lay there for an hour and 15 minutes. Can you imagine me laying completely still for an hour and 15 minutes? Well, anyway, I said to the doctor, well, how much is it going to cost? Because we didn't have anything. And he says, it's probably going to be about 1000 bucks." So I went there, laid there for, oh, it hurt so bad. Anyway, I laid there, and sure enough, about, three, about a month later, we got a bill for $996. So I had to leave. I was doing a wedding in Corn, Oklahoma. Jean was there with the girls. I drove to Corn, Oklahoma. And Corn, Oklahoma doesn't have a hotel or anything. So I was staying with the family that I was doing the wedding for. And when I got there, I was going to call Jean. There weren't cell phones. Just remember that. So I got on the phone, and I called, and I said, Hey, I made it to Corn, Oklahoma. And she said, you are not believe what happened today. What happened? She said she had... Sarah in her arm, and Catherine about here, and somebody came to the door. She knocked on the door. She opened the door, and there was a lady standing there, and she said, Are you Jean Bond? Jean said, Yes. She said, This is for you. Jean said, What is it? She said, I can't tell you. Who's this from? I can't tell you. What's your name? I can't tell you. Can you tell me anything? No, I can't tell you anything. She got in the car and drove off. Jean opened it up. You know what was in there? Ten $100 bills, $1,000. To this day, we have no idea who gave us that money. An act of love, an act of worship, and an act of trust. But God always blesses you. Always blesses you. He says, he who sows sparingly, what? Y'all know the verse? He who sows sparingly, re-sparingly. He sows bountifully, re-sparingly. All I'm trying to tell you is you have the greatest opportunity. You get to, to be blessed by God when you do this. And you're doing this, remember, because you love him, because you worship him, because you trust him. And you're giving of the first fruits, and you're planting it, and you're, and you're saying, Lord, everything I have is yours, and I want to do this. Galatians 6, 7, Be not deceived, God is not mine. Whatever a man sows, he what? He reaps. He reaps. Look at this right here. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. And then he goes, um, you don't have to write all that down, but he's just basically saying, tell them, tell them. And then look at 19 storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future. Now, let me ask you something. When you stand before Jesus Christ at the judgment seat of Christ, and he's going to reward you, did your giving as an act of love, worship, and trust, will that be rewarded? What do you think? What does he say here? Storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation. So we don't always think of it that way. We always think, well, I use my gifts, talents, and abilities. Yeah, but you also use your time and your money and your possessions and everything for the glory of God. Wow. Okay, so let's raise this, and, and I might do another story or two. But anyway, let's do one more thing, and let's do this. Why don't people give? Because, you know, I said a while ago, let, let me, you're, you want to get some statistics that you will not believe, okay? Number one. In a normal church, and I'm talking about normal church. I don't think our church is normal. I can look at some of you and tell that it's definitely not normal. But anyway, no. In a normal church, half the people in the church, and we're not talking about visitors. We're talking about people who go to that church. Half of the people never give to their church, never have give, and never will give. Half of the people in the local church who say, this is my church, I go on Sundays, da 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 they never give. And I think it's because they don't understand it. They don't know how to give, they don't know why to give, they don't plan to give and all that. Now, are you ready for this? The other half, of that other half, about 20% of the other half give 80% of everything that's given. And the average giver is one7 that means that of all these people, about 20% of them are giving a lot of money. Another group is giving a small amount of money, and over half of them are giving nothing. That's the statistics. I think our church is different than that. You want to hear something, that's really wild? Okay, before the virus, we averaged about 425 to 450. Then the virus came. And we stopped, had to stop, you know, we, we never really stopped. We had one Sunday that we videoed it, and another Sunday we had four people, and then they let us have ten people. And, and we had the music, and we, we had, like, what, three people or four people in music and me, and know we got it up, and then we had two people in the booth. And then finally they let us come back. And uh, what what everything I ever read was that about a third of the people who used to go to your church will never come back. They'll never come back to church. And it's true. We have... About 350 to 400 on a good Sunday. So about 100 people out of our 400 have never come back. There are people that we still have contact with them. And and many of them will just say, we'll come someday. But they haven't been in a year and a half, almost two years. But guess what? Our giving went up. You know why? Because the people that come were faithful to keep giving. Because see... A lot of the people, I'm I'm not, well, I don't know if the people who, what what we did is one of the things that helped is people started giving online, and see, some people in the past would give whenever they came, and sometimes they came maybe once a bit every two months, but when they gave online, they give on a regular basis, and so the giving in our church has actually gone up with less people. That's wild. Thank you very much. But anyway, it's just, it's wonderful. But I just want you to see that. Why don't people give? Because it's amazing that people don't give. First of all, they don't know how to give, right? What have they been taught all their life? Listen, a lot of people say 10%. I don't know if I can give 10%. You know? And so they, they've been taught all their life, you better give a 10th. And they don't, they don't do that. They don't, and, then, and they don't plan to give. They just don't think about it. They, 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 they get up. They get their money. They pay their bills. They do everything they're supposed to do. They, and, then, and then even if they wanted to, they go, oh, well, we, we just don't have it to give. We'd love to give. We just don't have it to give. And they're afraid. Some of them are afraid to give because they don't understand it's an act of love, worship, and trust. And that part of giving is trusting God. It's by faith. The whole Christian life is by faith. What? What does it say? Oh, it's supposed to be they don't plan to give. They don't. They don't. Thanks for telling me. By the way, here's the problem. Chelsea types all this in, and then I'm supposed to look at it, but I have dyslexia. Y'all know that. So I can't read it anyway. And so I say, looks good to me. And and I never saw that. I would have never seen that unless y'all tell me that it's there. So... Uh, I've got a great excuse. I mean, I can't can't read. So uh, I can read real fast. That's why I read real fast. I don't know the words. I just can go right through it, you know. (laughs) People are afraid to give. They're afraid to give because they're afraid they'll run out. They won't have enough. And especially if you tell them you should give on the what? The front end. And the problem is when you give on the back end, there's never anything left. And then they always say, I really really like to give. But anyway, okay, so that's enough of that. Let's talk about generous lifestyle. Maybe we ought to not talk about this. This gets big. This is a generous lifestyle. Think about our attitude toward money and riches and material. We live in a society that just pulls us all over the place. I mean, that's what it is. And so let's talk about attitude for just a second. Our attitude and the key, what's the key word? Faithfulness. I mean, that's it faithfulness, and so let me give you some, uh, I think, four things. Here's the first one, that God will supply everything. Philippians 4.19, just write Philippians 4.19. It says, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He's going to give you everything you need, right? So we have to trust him. We have to trust him, and that's the whole idea under faithfulness is that God will supply whatever we need. Here's B. You ready for B? B is that we use what we have now. Take what you have and use it for glory, his glory. Listen, have you ever heard somebody say, well, when we get more money, we'll start giving. You know, here's what you do. Give when you have a little, give when you have a lot. Be faithful in, he that is faithful in that which is least will be faithful in that which is much. Let me tell you, if you don't give when you have a little, you're sure not going to give when you have a lot. You're not. If you're faithful with what little you have, you'll be faithful with what big you have. I, I have more money now i never had in my life. And I'm faithful to take whatever God gives me, and I give it away. I have not changed one thing in 40 years. I challenge you to trust God that whatever he gives you, you give a portion away, and you watch because it's an act of worship, love, and trust. And you may say, well, I got just a little. If it won't be very much. It doesn't matter. Because remember, you give as you purpose in your heart, not grudgingly and necessity. God loves a cheerful giver, a hilarious giver. The third one, realize that we can't serve both God and money. You can't love them both. I know that sounds weird, but just Jesus the one that said it. You can't love them both. You can't. You can't love money and love God at the same time. You've got to trust God. Realize that we belong to Him. What do you not know? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? You've been bought with a price. You belong to him. And so we can't serve both. And then Jesus is the one that said that. And and what, what what you what you gotta realize is that money is a tool. And and possessions and everything is a tool to be used for the glory of God. And he, he gives it to us. Some people in, in, in even in the world standards, some people are very wealthy, and some people aren't. And what he says, whatever comes your way. Use it for His glory. Now we live in a country that all of us are wealthy compared to the rest of the world. That's so just amazing when you think about it. And and uh, uh, even when I was in seminary, and I, I made six hundred dollars a month. That's all. And 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 yet, if you if I you'd have taken me in another part of the world, well, some people would have said six hundred dollars a month. Whew, that's a lot. D. Be wise stewards of what God has given us. Be wise stewards. Take what God's given us and use it wisely. And, and uh, if you write that down, I want to throw Matthew 25 in there. His master said, his master said to him, well done, good, and what? Faithful slave, you have it. We're faithful with what? With just a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Listen, if you're just faithful... Faithful with a little, faithful with a lot, faithful with it. Just be faithful and say, whatever God's given me, I'm going to use it for his glory. Now, he he talks about this attitude toward riches and everything. and, And look what he does. He says in 1 Corinthians and 1 Timothy. So flip over there. I want you to see this. 1 Timothy. It's pretty pointed. I mean, it's really, it's pretty strong. It's in verse 17 is where he starts, where he starts talking about attitude toward riches and how we should look at all that because we are the richest people in the world. And so he gives some instructions. You, to riches, look what he says. Verse 17: Instruct those who are rich in this present world. Who's that? That's us. And he gives us three things. Two of them are negative, and one of them is positive. Here's the first one: Do not be conceited. Notice what he says. Instruct those in this present world not to be conceited. What happens when you have more money than other people? You think you're better than they are. I have people say it? Oh, I'm I'm better than they are. Look at them. I say, what do you mean, look at them? They're probably doing the best they can with what they have. You can't look at it that way. He says, just because you got, how do the Americans look at the rest of the world? Oh, we're the greatest. We have everything. We're the smartest. God's blessed us more than any other nation in the world. And what does he say? Don't be conceited. And then look at the second thing. Don't hope in riches. Notice this. Do not be, do not, uh, those rich in this world do not be conceited or fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. If you've had any money in the stock market in the last, say, five months, has it gone up or down? It's gone like this. Don't get out. Stay in, because it's going to go back up eventually. When I'm dead, it'll be up. But anyway, who knows? Who knows? But you can't put your hope in riches. Why? What does he say? They fly off. They go away. If you put your trust in money, you might lose the whole thing. Okay, I had a friend. I had a friend that, when I went to seminary... He was in the church that I was in in seminary. This was after I, I worked for State Farm, and then I started being a pastor at this church in Borger, Texas. And this man was in the church, and he had—he owned the bank, and he had six houses: one in Los Angeles, one in Las Vegas, one in Dallas, one in Borger, one on the East Coast, and I can't remember where the other one was. And I mean, he was one of the most generous people I've ever met in my life. Let me just say this: it was one of those generous. Persons I ever met in my life he came to me I, I got to teach one Sunday morning and I taught on running the race with endurance and I talked about coaching a track athlete to look at he comes up afterwards and he says and this was 1984 and he said you want to go to the Olympics I went what he said Olympics are in Los Angeles I'll take you to the Olympics he took me to the Olympics he's the most generous man I've just about ever knew he had, oh, he had a place in Los Angeles, too. And when, he flew, when we, flew, we flew on a Learjet owned by a, the doctor in, in, uh, in Hollywood who did all the plastic surgeries. So we flew out there in this Learjet. I mean, it was picked up in these big fancy cars. I mean, it was unbelievable. Great man. Wealthy. Six houses. Ten cars. At his house in, in Borgren. And they changed the law in Texas on what they called white oil. And he lost every house and most of his cars and his bank. And he moved to Dallas and lived in the house there. And then, of course, a great successful man that he is, he came back and did some other things. But you know what? He didn't trust in those riches. He lost almost every bit of it. He he told me that when the oil wells were doing right, he made a million dollars a day on the oil wells. He lost it all. Can you trust riches? You may think, hey, I'm making a million bucks a day. Ain't nothing can stop me. Listen, you can't put your hope in riches because you know what? The Bible says it, it fl- wings and flies away. You can't trust money. You can't trust stuff like that. And then the third thing, is, this is the positive. He says, put your hope in God. Your hope is in God. And look what he says. Your hope is in God who supplies us with all things to enjoy. So he says, don't be conceited. Don't trust in riches. Trust in God. Matthew says, seek ye first what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Philippians 4, 6 says, don't be anxious or anything but prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And so that's the bottom line. And so he gives us some results. Look at verse 18. I love verse 18. He says, Do good and share. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. What should you do with all the things we have? Share them. Do you remember the story in the Bible? And I got, we got one minute. Do you remember the story in the Bible about the real rich man? And he said, I don't know what I'm going to do. i got these barns and everything, and i got so much coming in. I don't know what to do with everything I've got coming in. I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my old barns. I'll build even bigger barns, and I'll just store it all up for myself. And what did God say to him? God said, you, you idiot. Tonight you're going to die, and you're going to lose all of that. What should he have done with all this stuff he had coming in? Give it away. Give some of it away. My gracious. And and so he didn't. He what does he say? What does the Bible say? Do good and share. And then he gets the 19th 19th. huh? On our paper it says nineteen and that says eighteen. Well, I think nineteen's next. Uh, yeah, I, eighteen is there. Nineteen is coming. I just had eighteen on there. You can put eighteen and nineteen. Okay. And nineteen. Look what he says in nineteen. Storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future. There's reward. Jesus said, lay up your treasure where? Remember the rewards, what we say they were? Their crowns and ruling and treasures in heaven. This is it. This is part of it. Storing up treasure for yourself. Okay, let me, let me do this. Uh, here's some things to think about. So, we are to be wise stewards because all we have comes to us from God. Do you agree with that? Everything you have? You've heard the guy say, well, I'm a self-made man. He said, man, you should have done better. (laughs) Must have not had much to work with. Anyway, so we're wise stewards because all we have comes from God. Number two, let's understand biblical giving both before, during, and after the law. Okay. Okay, let me ask you a question. What kind of giving was there before the law? Free will offerings. What kind of giving was there under the law? Tithes and offerings. What were the tithe system for? To, To take care of that. They had to run that sacrificial system. Okay? And then what kind of giving is there after the law? Free will giving. Okay. Let us give free will offerings as an act of what? Love, worship, and trust. And then I know all the kids are running wild, so we've got to get through here. Here's number four. May we give generously, putting our hope in God, and not in money or things.